1: Leia Healthcare Looking after you always Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry
0: Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Happy New Year to one and all. It's 2021 and we can put the tough year that was 2020 behind us, hopefully with lots more hope for this year to come. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and you're all ready for a rocking 2021. What a tough year it has been, but don't you worry, we're going to give you all the tips and tools and tricks to put a brilliant 2021 together. If you're thinking of making changes to your life, be it personal, professional, physical, or mental, then this week's interview will set you on the right path. James Clear is an international expert on habits and decision-making. He made his name as the author of the fastest-growing email newsletter in history, and its articles at jamesclear.com received 10 million hits each year, with his work frequently appearing in publications in the New York Times, Forbes and Business Insider. He's also the author of the hugely successful Atomic Habits, which is all about transforming your life with tiny changes in behavior, starting now. And I'm delighted to see he joins me on the show. James, welcome to Real Health. How's it going?
1: Hi, doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Delighted to have you on. I've lots of clients who've read your book, and they all absolutely rave about it. I've told them that it's going to have you on, and they're super excited. So our listeners will be raring to go for all the tips that you're going to give us. Let's start with the fundamentals and get stuck in. What are atomic habits?
1: Yeah, I, I chose the phrase atomic for three reasons. Um, so you know, most people are familiar with habits—these kind of repeated patterns that you form or routines and rituals that you do throughout your day. And your brain is forming them, whether you're thinking about them or not. But I think the phrase atomic helps describe the type of habits specifically that we're trying to build. So the first meaning of the word atomic is tiny or small, like an atom, and uh, habits, when they're scaled down and small, they're easier to do, easier to stick with, and so on. The second meaning of the word atomic, and the one that often gets overlooked, is the fundamental unit in a larger system. So like atoms are part of molecules, molecules become parts of compounds, and so on. And so in that sense, habits are sort of like the atoms of your daily life. They're these little routines and you put them all together and you end up with your daily rituals or your overall daily routine and kind of what you do on a typical basis. And then the third and final meaning of the word atomic is the source of immense energy or power. And uh, I think if you put all three of those together, you understand the sort of narrative arc of the book, which is you start with behaviors that are small and easy to do. You layer them on top of each other like units in a larger system, so you're kind of building these little 1% changes on top of each other. And if you do that, and uh, you do it consistently, then you can end up with some really powerful or remarkable results in the long run. And so I feel like the phrase, atomic habits, encapsulates sort of all three of those meanings.
0: Okay. And as an area of expertise, how did you get into all this? Before we kind of plow on, I'm fascinated by people's backgrounds and how did you land in this position?
1: Yeah. I sort of stumbled my way into it. I, I, my formal training, my academic training is in the sciences. I was uh, mostly physics and chemistry in undergrad um, and did a little bit of research in the physics department. And then uh, I went to graduate school, but um, you know, I, the first place that I learned about habits was actually on the baseball field. Uh, and so I was an athlete for a while. And as any athlete can tell you, there are all kinds of habits and rituals and routines that you're building Um, And so I sort of experienced it as a practitioner and I had maybe 50 or 60 pages of notes on just habits in general, what I thought about it my process. And it was just kind of my notes to myself. And at some point it got long enough that I thought I should just publish something. I should put some bit of this out. So that was November, 2012. And I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday for the first three years. And so it was really that writing habit that led to me learning more about it, developing expertise in it, uh, and ultimately the publishing of Atomic Habits, the book. So I sort of like the topic uh, for that reason. Um, I had to live the principles in order to learn about them. And I think that you know, there's, there's that saying where it's like, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. And I think you learn a lot when you have to put the ideas to use. And so that was the main place where I learned about it. And then I came to the academic research later. Okay.
0: And the key thing around atomic habits is it's very much around those small changes. And they really do make a big difference. Tell us why.
1: Well, behaviors are only going to make a difference in your life if you can stick to them consistently. Uh, You know, there are a few events in life, typically really negative things like, you know, getting in a car crash or getting cancer or something like that. That, yeah, if it just happens once, it could be life changing. But for the majority of things, uh, the majority of the things that make up our daily life, you need to repeat them consistently for them to be meaningful. You know, publishing one podcast doesn't really do a whole lot. But if you publish 100 episodes or 300 episodes, well, then maybe you have an audience. Same way with me with my writing, same way with making sales calls, same way with going to the gym, same way with eating a healthy meal. Like one meal does not radically transform your body, but doing it every day or doing it consistently as a habit, yeah, that can actually lead to a really meaningful difference. So it's making behaviors easy to stick with that's going to lead to the long-term change that we also badly want. And if you scale habits down and make them easy to do, they're easier to start and they're easier to stick with. And there's sort of this... Um, It's almost like a valley that you go through where you've started a behavior, you're working on it for a couple months, and you don't see any change. And you think, gosh, why am I even bothering with this? I've been running for a month straight. I can't see a change in my body. I've been eating healthy for six weeks. I can't see a change on the scale. And you need to be able to get through that valley of disappointment and get to the other side before you start to see those those changes accumulate. And there's a quote that I share early on in the book that I like that I think encapsulates this, which is, the San Antonio Spurs, so NBA basketball team, they've won five championships. And they have a quote hanging in their locker room that says something to the effect of, whenever I feel like giving up, I think about the stone cutter who takes his hammer and bangs on the rock a hundred times without it, you know, cracking in two. And then at the hundred and first blow, it splits. And I know that it wasn't the hundred and first that did it, but all the hundred the hundred that came before, right? And with your habits, it's very much like that. It's not the last workout that makes a fit body. It's all the ones that came before. It's not the last article that leads to, you know, a popular blog. It's all the ones that came before and so on. And um, so you have to find ways to stick with it and scaling it down makes it easier to stick with it. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to, to focus on those small behavior changes.
0: And it's not why people get New Year's resolutions all wrong. They're big, massive goals. They want it instantly. And then, you know, when it doesn't happen within three to four weeks, they fall off the wagon, as opposed to looking at the longer term and those small changes over that longer term time frame.
1: Well, that's part of it. I mean, I, you know, and this is coming from someone who's made that mistake plenty of times myself, right? Like, I think it's very natural. We get excited about the changes that we want to achieve. And you set a big goal for yourself or you feel motivated, you feel amped up, you want to try to improve. So it's very natural to, you know, try to set a big vision, to be ambitious, to, you know, think about what your life could be. But the challenge is that I think for pretty much any behavior, there are multiple outcomes across time. So broadly speaking, we could say there's like an immediate outcome and there's an ultimate outcome. And this helps explain some of the difficulty with like why you slide into bad habits so easily and why good habits are so hard to form. With your bad habits, the immediate outcome is often pretty favorable. Like the immediate outcome of eating a donut is great. It's sweet. It's sugary. It's tasty. It's enjoyable. It's only the ultimate outcome that's kind of unfavorable. Or even something like smoking a cigarette, like the immediate outcome is maybe you get to socialize with friends or you curb your nicotine craving or you reduce stress. It's only the ultimate outcome five or 10 years later that's negative. With good habits, though, it's often the reverse, like What is the immediate outcome of going to the gym for three weeks? Not a whole lot. Your body looks basically the same in the mirror. If anything, you're a little bit sore. Um, You don't really have much to show for it. It's only two or three or four years later that if you stick with it, the ultimate outcome is good. And so that gap between the immediate outcome and the ultimate outcome is one of the challenges. People start out with this big vision january 1st or the beginning of the year and then they work for three or four weeks and the ultimate outcome hasn't arrived yet and so you've got this gap between the two so i think if people want to approach their new year's resolutions in a more productive way or or at least just in a different way if they want to try a different approach rather than being outcome focused rather than being focused on the result that you want i would encourage people to think about what is the identity of the type of person who can achieve that result. So what is the identity that you want? So as an example, weight loss is a very common New Year's resolution, probably the most common, but you could ask yourself the question, okay, rather than focusing on the results of the number on the scale, who is the type of person that could lose weight? And you realize, oh, well, maybe it's the type of person who doesn't miss workouts, or maybe it's the type of person who tracks their calories every day. And you can pick one of those habits and you just focus on fostering that identity. And you realize it's, it's only a little shift, but it's. I think it's meaningful. The subtle shift is now I'm focused on not missing workouts, not what I do, not how much happens in any workout, not how much weight I lift or what the weight is on the bar, just not missing. Or now I'm focused on tracking calories, not what I eat. I'm not going to berate myself for the diet that I am or am not following. Uh, I'm just going to focus on building the identity of someone who tracks their calories every day. And it helps shift you a little bit more to a focus on the process rather than a focus on the outcome. And because those rewards are so delayed, because the benefits of good habits are in the future, that long-term outcome, I think it often makes sense to focus on the identity rather than the result.
0: And within the book, there's four key steps or laws to build better habits. I don't want to talk through those. Let's start with the first one and it's make it obvious.
1: Yeah, so... You want your habits to be, your good habits, to be obvious, available, visible, easy to see. For any habit to start, it needs some kind of what researchers call a cue or a trigger. Um, There's something that prompts the behavior. There's something that gets your attention. So, for example, you walk into the kitchen, you see a plate of cookies on the counter. That's a visual cue that starts the habit of picking it up and eating it. Or you're driving down the road and you hear an ambulance or a siren behind you. That's an auditory cue that starts the habit of pulling to the side of the road. And so something gets your attention. And so the more obvious that you can make your good habits, the more likely it is that you're going to fall into those, that they're going to get your attention and be the thing that you act on. So this can be as simple as, um, you know, putting healthy foods on the shelves that are more visible or out on the counter in the kitchen, tucking the unhealthy stuff away, or ideally not having it in the house at all. But the more friction that you put between you and the bad behaviors, the less likely you are to slide into it. The less friction between you and the good ones, the more likely you are to perform them. Um, But it can also be used in the inverse. So you want to make your good habits obvious, but you also want to make your bad habits invisible. So one example for me, uh, a work habit, is that I try to leave my phone in another room until lunch each day. And it doesn't work all the time, but when it does work, when I do leave it somewhere else, Um, it really helps me because I, if I have my phone next to me, I'm like anybody else, I'll pick it up every three minutes just because it's there. Right. But I have a home office. So if I leave my phone in another room, it's only 30 seconds away, but I never go get it. And what always surprises me about that is like, well, did I want it or not? You know, like in one sense, I wanted it bad enough to check it every three minutes when it was next to me. But in another sense, I never wanted it so bad that I would walk 30 seconds to go get it when it was out of the room. And you'd be surprised how many of your bad habits are like that. You know, now a true addiction, no, it's not going to work like that. But for many of our bad habits, just making them less visible will be enough to curtail them. Like beer is another example. If I get a six pack of beer and I put it in the fridge, if it's right there in the front of the fridge where I can see it as soon as I open up the door, I'll grab one every night and have it at dinner just because it's there. But if I tuck it back on the lowest shelf all the way in the back where I can't really see it, I got to like bend down to, to spot it. Sometimes I'll forget that it's there for weeks uh, before I pick it up and drink one again. And I'm like, well, did I want beer or not? Same sort of thing. And so there are many, uh, there are many examples of this. And any individual environment change like that is not going to radically transform your habits. But collectively, you can start to see the benefit of making a dozen or two dozen or 50 little choices like that. And it becomes much easier to stick to the good habit when it's the path of least resistance, when it's the obvious thing to do.
0: And some of those small changes for people listening in, they will sound really obvious, but actually really beneficial. And the more you talk through it, I'm kind of listening to what I recommend to clients for weight loss or for toning up. And it is those really simple little changes that add up. So, you know, surround yourself with as many obvious small changes as you can. Your second law is make it attractive.
1: So, you want your habits to be, your good habits, again, to be attractive, motivating, appealing. The more appealing it is, the more excited you are to, to feel about doing it, the more motivated you'll feel to take action. So this stage is really about what I refer to in the book as the craving or the prediction that your brain makes. So, you know, a lot of the time we feel like life is reactive. Things happen to us and then we respond. Somebody says something, I feel a certain way. Somebody does something, I act in a in response. But in reality, the way that your brain actually works is much less reactive and actually much more predictive. Uh, And so your brain is endlessly making predictions about what to do next. So just as an example, let's say you go to Amazon or you're shopping somewhere online and you see a product, you you see a book, see Atomic Habits or something like that, and you think about buying it. Now, if you choose to buy it, you're not actually buying the book. You can't because you don't have it yet. You don't own it. You don't know what's in the book. What you're buying is your expectation or your prediction of how valuable the book will be. And so it's actually the image that the sales page creates in your mind that gets you to click the button and so on. Same thing is true for any other habit. Uh, Again, if you see a piece of cake on the counter, you're not actually motivated to eat the cake. You're motivated by the image that the cake creates in your mind, the expectation that it'll be tasty and sugary and flavorful and so on. And so the more that you can associate a positive expectation, a positive prediction with your habits, the more likely you are to perform them. So there are a couple uh, simple practical tips that come out of this. The first is there are many forms of a habit. And so you should choose the one that you have the most favorable expectation with. Like, let's take exercise. You could, not everybody has to train like a bodybuilder. Like I like strength training. But you don't have to do that. You could go kayaking or rock climbing or go for a run or do you know any number of things. And so you should pick the form of exercise that you have the most favorable expectation around because that'll be the one that's motivating or attractive to you. Um, The second thing is you can use a couple different strategies, and I talk about a variety of them them in the book. I'll give you one here um, to increase the attractiveness of a behavior. So let's use another exercise example. Let's say. you know, you listen to this podcast and you think, all right, I heard this guy talk about habits. So tomorrow's going to be the day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go for a run at 6 a.m. So you set your alarm for six and the morning rolls around and it's cold outside. Your bed is warm. You're like, well, I'll just press snooze instead, maybe tomorrow. But if instead you send a text to a friend and you say, hey, can we meet at the park at 6 15? Well, now 6 a.m. rolls around and your bed is still warm and it's still cold outside. But if you don't get up and go for a run, you're a jerk because you leave your friend at the park all alone. And so suddenly what you've done is you have made it more attractive to get up and go for a run and less attractive to press snooze and sleep in. The behavior isn't any easier. The run's going to be just as difficult as it was before, but it's more attractive to you because it now bears an immediate cost if you sleep in. And so that there are a couple of different strategies you can use for things like that that also increase the attractiveness of a habit. So I think if you can do a good job of picking habits that you have a positive expectation around or a, you predict it will be favorable and you can use a couple strategies to increase the attractiveness of the behavior, you'll often find yourself more motivated to do it.
0: You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Third law, make it easy.
1: Making it easy is all about reducing friction. It's all about making your habits as simple as possible to do. And the, the thing that I recommend people start with, and I will say, if you can only remember one thing from this uh, talk, this little session here, this I think is the thing to remember, the thing to start with. It's what I call the two minute rule. And it basically just says, take whatever habit you're trying to build and scale it down to something that takes two minutes or less to do. So read 30 books a year becomes read one page or do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. And sometimes people resist that a little bit when I give those examples because they're like, well, I know the real goal isn't just to take my yoga mat out. I know I'm actually trying to do the workout. So if this is some kind of mental trick, then like why would why would I fall for it basically? And I understand where people are coming from, but I had this reader. Uh, I mentioned him in the book. His name's Mitch. And he, uh, he lost a lot of weight over hundred pounds. Um, and, uh, he, I don't know what that is in kilos, 40, 40, 40 kilos, something like that. Anyway. So he, um, he lost all this weight, kept it off for over a decade. And when he started, um, going to the gym for the first six weeks, he had a little rule for himself where he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he got in the car, drove to the gym, got out, did half an exercise, get back in the car, drive home. And it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds silly. You're like, obviously this is not going to get the guy, the results that he wants. But if you take a step back, what you realize is that he was mastering the art of showing up, right? He was becoming the type of person that went to the gym four days a week, even if it was only for five minutes. And I think this is a much deeper truth about habits that people often dismiss or overlook, which is that a habit must be established before it can be improved, right? It has to become the standard in your life before you can optimize and scale it up. And for whatever reason, we get very all or nothing with our habits. You know, we're so focused on, well, if I can't run, you know, for 45 minutes, three days a week, then why would I bother running for five minutes? That doesn't, that's not going to do anything. And uh, we're so focused on perfectionism on finding the best workout program, the ideal diet plan, the perfect business idea that we don't give ourselves permission to show up, even if it's just in a small way. And I like to, I think about the quote, there's this quote from Ed Lattimore, where he says the heaviest weight at the gym is the front door. And (laughs) it's basically that idea. You know, if you can master the art of opening up the front door, if you can master the art of showing up, then you see the value in the two minute rule. You see how that can help get you on this like very positive trajectory. And so make it easy. That third law behavior change is all about that kind of philosophy, that type of approach.
0: Okay, I can I can hear our listeners almost writing these down, and the, the, the light bulb moment gone off in their head as they listen to to the tips. Fourth and final law: make it satisfying.
1: So behaviors need to be satisfying; they need to be reward rewarding; they need to be enjoyable. If you want them to stick, you might be able to get somebody to do something one time just by tricking them or by you know having some kind of motivation or incentive. But if people are going to return to a behavior again and again, if you're going to be consistent, if a habit's going to last in your life, there needs to be some level of enjoyment or reward associated with it. It needs to be satisfying in some way. And I think this is so deeply true and has been backed up by so many scientific studies over the years that I refer to as the cardinal rule of behavior change, which is behaviors that are immediately rewarded get repeated. Behaviors that are immediately punished get avoided. And this comes back a little bit to what we mentioned a few minutes ago about the speed of that reward, about that immediate outcome versus the ultimate outcome. You need something in the immediate term, in the uh, immediate window right after doing the behavior that feels good to you. So this can be done in a bunch of different ways. um, But my preferred way in the long run is to see the behavior as a vote for the type of identity you're trying to build. So Every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And if you can start to see these new habits you're building as casting votes for your desired identity, casting votes for the type of person you wish to be, well, then you don't have to wait at all to be satisfied. You know, every time I do a set of squats, that's a little vote for I'm a healthy person or I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts or I'm the type of person who's an athlete And all of those little votes add up to evidence of, yeah, this is actually who I am. And I feel like myself when I'm at the gym and I'm working out and so on. Now, right away in the short term, the first time you go do a workout or the first time that you sit down and meditate, no, you're not going to feel like that's who you are. And so sometimes it can be helpful to have an external reward to kind of nudge you along in those early days. But Even if you're going to use an external reward, I think it's important that the external reward does not conflict with the internal identity you're trying to build. So as an example, let's say that you were like, well, if I don't miss any workouts this week, then I'm going to eat an ice cream after my workout on Friday. You're like, well, okay, but that kind of casts a vote for conflicting identities. You know, like on the one hand, you're working out and you're saying I'm healthy. On the other hand, you're eating the ice cream. So instead, what I would say is pick something like, Uh, Like letting yourself have a bubble bath or go to a spa or something on the weekend if you don't miss any workouts that week. Because that is also casting a vote for I'm taking care of my body. Uh, And so it's kind of aligned with the same identity, but it still is rewarding and nice and enjoyable and, you know, a little bit of a a benefit that you wouldn't normally get. So um, anyway, the, the punchline there is every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. And the more that you can align your habits with your identity... The more you can start to feel some of that immediate reward and immediate value right in the present moment when you perform the behavior.
0: You've been incredibly generous with your tips and with your content for all of our listeners. We really appreciate that. Out of interest, uh, what are your own resolutions for 2021? Or right, have you gotten? Yeah, it's
1: a great question. I actually, you know, I've had I've had different ones throughout the years. Probably all the many of the similar ones people uh, other people have had. Like I've had, you know, ones about healthy eating. I've had uh, I had a hundred push-up challenge I did one year and things like that. Um, I've kind of transitioned a little bit now where I think less about the outcome and more about the system. So I talk about this in Atomic Habits as well, which is that you don't really rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And so I try to focus less on the results or the outcome and more on the system that precedes the result. You know, if you, to put a little finer point on this or to connect it back to our, our discussion already, what is your goal? Your goal is your desired outcome. What is the system? The system is the collection of daily habits that you follow. And if there's ever a gap between your goal and your system, if there's ever a gap between your desired outcome and your daily habits, your daily habits will always win. By definition, whatever results you have right now are the natural side effect of the system you've been running for, say, the last six months or the last year. And so the great irony of this, of setting New Year's resolutions or of all these other goals and ambitions that we set for ourselves is... We also badly want our results to change in life, but the results are actually not the thing that needs to change. It's the system that precedes the result. And so it's kind of like focus on the inputs and the outputs will fix themselves. So for me, my two big projects for 2021 are uh, writing a second book and uh, working on a podcast. And so I am focused much less on uh, the outcome of that, like delivering the manuscript and much more on, am I writing today? Uh, Am I making some small bit of progress? Am I working with a producer on the show and things like that? So it's much more trying to figure out what those daily habits are and how can I knock those down and know that that will kind of inevitably carry me toward the, the desired outcome that I have in mind.
0: Well, I've no doubt the book and the podcast will be huge success when you get them uh, sorted for for twenty twenty one. So the very best of luck with that. So the book is called Atomic Habits. It's available in bookstores nationwide here in Ireland and online as well. And if people want to find you online or on Instagram, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so you can just go to JamesClear.com. That's the best place to check out my work and there are links to you know social and all that stuff. I'm just at James Clear on Twitter and Instagram and all that. But um If you want to get more about the book or kind of dive in a little deeper from our conversation today, then uh, as you said, it's called Atomic Habits and you can just go to atomichabits.com and you'll be able to find all the links there.
0: Amazing. James Clear, the very best of luck with everything in 2021. Thank you so much for all your content and your tips and time today. We really, really appreciate it. Folks, I'm sure you enjoyed that episode and have been busy scribbling notes down and you will listen back and back again to get all the content from it. Have an amazing 2021. Work towards the best goals possible, put the best system in place to help you hit those goals. As ever, you know where we are, Real Health at PT on Twitter and on Instagram. And as ever, we're back again next week. With more Real Health. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next week.
1: Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.